Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. How many of you have ever, uh, I'm going to preach a message to you this morning called the God of the Aftermath. How many of you have ever had an aftermath in your life? Okay, how many husbands have ever had an aftermath? I've had a couple of those in my lifetime. Like, for example, you know, there was the time years and years and years ago when I was pretty new here pastoring, and I decided it'd be a great idea, just a wonderful idea, to have a pig roast up at our house at the pond. How many think that's a good idea? Fun, fun, food, all that, great idea. How many think it's a good idea to tell your wife (laughs) ahead of time? How many think it's a good idea that she does not find out the Sunday before in the bulletin? When, when you come into church and you're in the foyer of the church and you see your wife across the foyer and she's going like this. Yes. Did you forget to tell me something? How many know she's not really looking for an answer to say yes? How many know she already know, I already know that she knows I forgot to tell her something? I says, maybe. <laughs> Probably. What's going on? You're invited the whole church to the pond to have a pig roast and you didn't tell me? Yeah, that would be me. How many know I was dealing with the aftermath? The after, one of the results of that was that from then on, Sharon, who was our secretary then, would email Penny anytime I made a plan on anything. And then there was the time I thought it would be a wise idea. I didn't want to worry her and I was thinking I had a situation. So I, I, I went to the ER without telling her. That wasn't a good one either. I'm not sure I got talked to for about 48 hours on that one, all right? I'm just saying, how many of you know what I'm talking about when you're talking about an aftermath, right? Um, so so I, I've had a few of those in my life I could tell you about. How many know in your life there are circumstances and situations that seem to have an aftermath? Let, let me give you a working definition this morning of this word aftermath, all right? The, de- the uh, definition of it is the consequences or after effects of a significant unpleasant event. Now, has anybody in here ever had an unpleasant event? Okay, I just want to make sure, because I mean, if, if nobody here has it, and you're all like good, and you've, I'll just change messages, all right? How many of you have ever made choices and decisions where you've had to deal with the aftermath of those choices and decisions, right? So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about this this morning, and I'm going to take you to John chapter 21. John 21, I love this passage of Scripture, and uh, I want to look at this, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take you through several different, if I can call them scenes or seasons, of, of Peter's life that I think we can relate to, and see what happens and how is God the God of the aftermath. All right, let's pick it up. Chapter 21, verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out, they got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Let me stop there for a moment. Let's begin and let's talk a little bit about this man, Peter, and what had happened in his life and everything that had gone on, all right? 
let me talk to you for a few moments, first of all, about a season in his life of what I'm going to call anticipation, a season of expectation, uh, a season where, you know, he's anticipating the future. How many of you have ever lived with an anticipation of the future? Great. Got a bunch of future-thinking people this morning. How many of you, when you were young, might have lived in such a way that, you know, you were thinking of your future, you were excited about what the future had, maybe you were going to school, maybe you were thinking about getting married, having a family, all the things that that brought with it. Remember this. Peter had a season like that. One day, Jesus is walking along the sea. He looks at Peter and he says, come on, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow me and I'll make you something that you could never be on your own. All right, so he was invited to walk with Jesus, and he walked with him for three years. Jesus said, oh, you'll become fisher of men. Listen to this. One day Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said what? Greater things than these shall you do. I mean, it's a pretty exciting future when Jesus is telling you you're going to do greater things than he, what he was doing. I think that's pretty exciting. Jesus was told... Jesus told Peter one day about the great revelation here. This revelation that you had did not come from man, but you had a direct revelation from God of who I am. Peter walked on water. How many think that'd be pretty cool? I'm telling you, I think that'd be really stinking cool, right? This summer, we could have tried it. We've got so much rain. Peter walked on water. Peter was part of healing the sick, casting out demons, he was playing in the game, man, right? He was promised that one day, along with the other apostles, they would be on thrones in his father's kingdom. You see, there was this season for Peter where he walked for three years and was learning and being shaped and molded by Jesus to become something he never anticipated. He was a fisherman. He was, the Bible called them unschooled, ordinary men. How many know I qualify? Unschooled, ordinary man with an incredible future ahead of him, prophesied and predicted by Jesus. This season that Peter would live in would be one of an expectation. It would be one that he'd walk in anticipation, season of dreams, a season of preparation, a season of the molding and the shaping that would take place. How about you? How many of you have lived in a season of anticipation? What would the future be like? You dreamed of future accomplishments. You dreamed of future relationships, whether it be a husband or a wife or children. You anticipated the future and all that it might hold. Some dreamed of jobs and hobbies you want to do. How many, how many of you have a bucket list? Nobody? Hmm? Okay, you know, fine. <laughs> right? I know some of you do. I am... I'm going to tell you one thing I'm going to do before I die. I'm going to go to Norway or Iceland or one of those places, and I'm going to watch the northern lights in a glass igloo. That's going to be so stinking cool. Yes, share my excitement. Some dreamed of jobs. Some dreamed of hobbies. Some dreamed of marriages. Some dreamed of children. And you had this season. Maybe some of you are in it right now. That you got this, man, I'm still anticipating things. And then that moment came, that moment, that moment happened. For Peter, it was that moment of denial. It was that moment that fear caused him to come to a place 
where he would look at people and say, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know him. He denied him. Right? Fear had driven him to a place of denial. Fear had driven him to a place of lying. Fear had driven him to do what he thought he would never do. The moment in Peter's life seemed to derail all of the future. Think about that for a moment. How in the world are you going to do greater things than these when you can't even acknowledge you know him? How are you going to sit in authority in heaven when you can't even acknowledge that you know him? How is Jesus going to entrust anything to you when you deny him? Think about that for a moment. And yet, how many of you know, some of us, we've had moments in our life that seem to derail that future that we anticipated, that we lived in expectation of, right? Addiction, broken relationships, divorce, death, poor choices. Anybody ever here make poor choices? Hmm? Penny thinks she made one. All right. Failures. Money problems. Decisions others have made. How many know others can make decisions that impact your future? You're left with the aftermath of the moment. You see, here's Peter. He's got all this season of anticipation and expectation where Jesus is saying all these great things to him and he's living in that moment. And then that moment came where he just, I I don't know him. And then that moment happened where he failed him. And now he would deal with the aftermath, the consequences, or the effects of a significant, unpleasant event. The aftermath is sometimes a season of suffering the consequences of our decisions. Let's face it. Our decisions have consequences. Can everybody say amen? How many of you wish you could go back and undo some decisions? Right? If you could go back and undo some of those decisions, you wouldn't be dealing with some of the aftermath that you're dealing with even today. But the fact is you can't. The aftermath is a season of suffering the consequences sometimes of others' decisions. Some people make decisions that you've got to deal with the junk. Anybody had to, to do with the junk of somebody else's decisions? The aftermath is a season of suffering the effects of an unfortunate event. It could be the effects of losing that loved one. It could be the effects of losing that job, of losing your home, the effects of sickness, the effects of a husband leaving, the effects of a wife leaving, the effects of children leaving, rejecting you. You see, and this aftermath brings with it oftentimes a, a season of uncertainty. Maybe it's a, bit time, a time of confusion, it's a time, but how many know it's a time that requires faith? That might be leading to something else. What do you do in those moments when it's the aftermath and you don't know what to do, you're not sure what to do, it's a season of uncertainty? Let me tell you what Peter did. Peter said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> I've lived more years as a fisherman than I have as a disciple. I'm more comfortable with being a fisherman than I am a disciple. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I understand. I'm going back to familiarity. I'm going back 
to what I understand the best. You know, because listen to me. You, you see, it's times of uncertainty you will resort to what you know best. How many know stress and tension always, almost always cause you to resort to what is most natural to you? Think about that for a moment. So Peter, what's he know best? He doesn't know this best. He doesn't know how to navigate this water. He knows how to navigate those waters. He knows how to navigate that wind. He knows how to navigate the sea. But this, this is uncharted territory. Never been here before. Anybody ever been in uncharted territory? Yeah, I started in 1999, pastoring this church. Had no idea what I was doing. Now I just don't know what I'm doing better than what I did then. Okay? And it's uncharted territory. When you've gone through and you've wronged somebody, you have to go through the aftermath. It's uncharted territory. And what you sometimes do is you resort to what you know best. In times of uncertainty, you may return to what you've always done. Like, I, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what's next, but I'm going to do what I've always done. You know, that's a bad place to be sometimes. Because how many know what you've always done really hasn't produced the result that you want? What do they say insanity is? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. Right? Listen, this morning, sometimes you've got to change your status quo if you want something different. You cannot always go back and do what you've always done in order to get something different. But Peter, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to handle, handle this. I'm going back to familiar ground. I'm going back to what I've always done. In this aftermath, he's in a place of defeat. He's in a place of uncertainty. He's in a place of what do I do now? I'm going back. And watch what the Bible says. And the Bible says, we're going with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Have you ever had a season of futility where it just seemed like nothing you did worked? Like you, there's Peter. Peter's like, man, I got all these promises. I'm living in this season. All this is going to be great. He failed. He has a moment. Now the aftermath, the guilt, the shame, and everything else. I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to what I've always done. I know how to navigate that, but all of a sudden, can't catch a darn thing. Can't catch a stinking fish. Futility. Some of us have spent a season of sowing and sowing and sowing and toiling and haven't been able to reap a thing. Haven't been able to get a thing. Haven't been able to get anything accomplished. This is Peter. Nothing, catches nothing. No fruit, no catch, no satisfaction. It just wasn't the same. I told, a, I told a couple of women who came to our church many, many years ago that were caught up in addiction and caught up in drugs. And uh, God set them free and gave them a new life and so forth and so on. And, and I remember telling them one time when they were struggling, I said, you know, the worst thing you ever did was walk in this church. I mean, that's a really good word from the pastor. And they looked at me and said, why? I said, because you walked into church, you got saved, you gave your heart to God, he's changed your life, and you can never go back to what you used to be and find satisfaction in it. You can never go back to that lifestyle and ever find satisfaction in it again. You just can't. You see, Peter goes back to what he's always done, but how many know Peter was called from what he's always done? You can't go back to what you've always done if God has called you from what you've always done. Like, I can't, I can't go back to certain things. He worked all night. Imagine his 
frustration. How many of you be frustrated? Hmm? But here's the awesome thing. Watch this. This is where it gets really good. See, see, let me tell you what the scripture says. He's in a dark time. He's in a dark place. He's in a place of guilt. He's in a place of shame. He's in a place of uncertainty. He doesn't know what the future is going to hold. The, the future seems to be derailed. He fishes all night. It's dark. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says this. There we go. Ready? Weeping may last for the night, but what? A shout of joy comes in the morning. Come on. Listen to me. How many of you know joy was about to show up in the morning for Peter? You say, how is that? Did the situation change? No. No. Watch what the scripture says. But when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Listen to me. Let me stop right there. Listen to me this morning. If nothing else, joy came in the morning because Jesus came in the morning. Your joy is not coming tomorrow morning because your situation may change. Your joy comes tomorrow morning because Jesus is still the same. Jesus is in your life. I've told you many, many times, and I can't help but tell you again, because many people will hear this for the first time, who may be watching on live stream or watching on television at some point. Somebody may be here for the first time. I'm telling you, I know what it is to go through a night of mourning. I know what it is to go through the dark night of the soul. I know what it is to have my heart broken. But I know what it is to have the presence of Jesus that gives me joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can't tell you how it's there. I'm just telling you it's there. Because joy is not found in your situation, it is found in a person. We got to get that in our hearts. Because we're in American Christianity where joy is sometimes more spoken about in our situations than it is in a person. How is it that a man that I told you about last week, Joshua Duong, could go 14 months without seeing his family because he's been persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ? His family can't get out of China, and yet this man is full of joy? Because it's about a person. About a person. The joy for Peter was the person. You see, he shows up. Gotta love Jesus, right? He knows where he's at. Peter and his friends experienced a night of futility, but joy came in the morning. Where Jesus is, joy is sure to follow. Just telling you. Where Jesus shows up, joy shows up. I want to say to you today, some of you have been going through a dark time, a night of futility, a season of darkness. It's been a season of futility it's a season you, you just as soon not go through, but you had to go through anyhow. But here's the good news. Right what that scripture says. But the day is breaking. Come on, can you get that in your spirit this morning? Can some of you get that in your spirit this morning? The day is breaking. The day is breaking. You see, because Jesus is now manifesting himself on the scene. He said, hey, you got any fish? I mean, he knew they didn't have any fish. Don't you love a trash-talking Savior? Hey, did you catch anything? They answered no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will. I lost my place. And you will catch a great catch. Watch this. As soon as my Bible cooperates with me. Technology is wonderful till it doesn't work. See, Jesus shows up. And he brings, he's coming to bring a manifestation of himself. And he's going to bring this manifestation of himself to Peter and his disciples in a moment when they need it most. How many of you have ever 
found yourself in your life that you needed a manifestation of God in a moment. You say, but, 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 but can that happen? Yeah, it happens. And, and again, for the sake of illustration, I hate to go back to our experience, but sometimes it's all I got. How many know that I'm telling you about my faithful God? My son is found. He's found in that river. You know that story. That week, same week, my God gives me a dream. And in that dream, at the end of that dream, and I know that I know that I know it was my God. He says, you will not die. You will live. How many know there's times where you just need a revelation and a manifestation of your God in the midst of what you're going through? And Jesus shows up. You see, Peter goes back fishing. But listen to me. Isn't it interesting? He goes back fishing, but the natural fishing would only be a shadow of what he was really supposed to be doing. Jesus said you're going to be fisher of men. You're going to catch men from this now. Some people revert to a shadow mission because they think they can never once again fulfill the original mission. Peter was called from fishing for fish to fishing for men. But since I feel I cannot do this, I've disqualified myself. Jesus can't use me. I'm going to go back here and I'm going to do something like it. But it's not it. Don't fall for the shadow mission. Is he not a God of restoration? Is he not a God of second chance? All right. You see, there are times in your life when you simply need a manifestation of your God. When your faith needs a moment of increase. How many know he's more than willing to give you an increase of faith? A moment of revelation. A moment when he will bring you something that will encourage you. And at that moment, so watch this. So they throw the net over, and the Bible says that they had this incredible large catch of great number of fish. And then John says, it's the Lord. Peter, what's Peter do? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. You see, there comes a point in your life, listen to me, where you're going to have to decide what you're going to do. You've had an anticipation. You've had a future. You've had expectation. You've had a moment, and that moment has brought failure, and that moment has left you in an aftermath. But God shows up. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do. You're either going to allow it to keep you from Jesus the rest of your life. You're going to allow your failures of your life to keep you from him. You're going to allow your past to keep you from him. Or you're going to say, that's my Savior. That's my Redeemer. That's the God who called me. That's the God who loves me. I'm out of here. I'm going back to him. When I'm watching my grandkids and one of them gets hurt, guess where they run? Why? Because I'm going to grab them and I'm going to hold them and I'm going to kiss them and I'm going to love on them. And everything's going to be better. And if the worst case scenario, we put a Band-Aid on where it's not even needed. (laughs) Because a Band-Aid will fix everything. <laughs> right? You, when Jesus comes and manifests himself, you might just want to respond. You might just want to draw near to him. You, you see, because listen to me. Why did Jesus show up? I'm going to give you a scripture why he showed up. Paul said, What? To the Philippians. What did he say to the Philippians? For I am confident of this very thing 
that he who began a good work in you will perfect it into the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to me. How many know it was Jesus that started the work in Peter, not Peter that started the work in Peter? And I gotta tell you this morning, it is not you that started the good work in you. It is him that started the good work in you. And he is the one that will perfect it. He is the one that will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He comes and he manifests himself to this broken man. You see, Peter may have been done with Peter, but Jesus wasn't done with Peter. You may be done with you, but I promise you Jesus isn't done with you. I love the fact that he's not done with me. He's probably going, oh, there's so much work there. Jesus died on the cross so you wouldn't die in your sin, right? Jesus didn't die on the cross to leave you in your failure. Why would the one who died for me on the cross... Why would he abandon me in the midst of my failure? Some people have this notion that the moment they mess up, God's done with them. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. The God who died for you on the cross is not going to bail on you when you go through a moment of failure. So they have this miraculous catch of fish. He knows who it is. I want you to think about this for a moment. So when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, large full of fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Hmm. I want you to see something. Whenever... Jesus says, throw that net over to the other side. They have this miraculous catch of fish. And this miraculous catch of fish, the miraculous catch of fish was the work of a supernatural God. Has God ever done anything supernatural in your life? Christy just gave testimony to it. Has there ever, he's a supernatural God. Look at the scripture. He heals the sick. He heals the blind. He opens up deaf ears. He opens up blind eyes. He raised the dead. He multiplied fish and bread. He parts the Red Sea. He parts the Jordan River. He brings the walls of Jericho down. Do we believe in a supernatural God this morning? I sure hope so. And there's times in your life where he works as a supernatural God. But watch this. The fire, the fish, and the bread, that was the work of a faithful friend. That was the work of a faithful friend. Come, let's eat together. Who's he saying this to? Peter, who denied he knew him. Disciples who ran and scattered like sheep. The mighty catch, work of a supernatural God. The fire of the fish and the bread were the work of a friend. It was an offer of communion and a offer of fellowship. An offer of friendship, an offer of restoration. Isn't he amazing, God? I'm not done with you, Peter. I want to have dinner with you. I'm not done with you. You're my friend. Have you ever wronged a friend? Are they still your friend? 
Boy, it's quiet. Jesus prepared a meal for them in the midst of this. He's a faithful friend. He's a faithful friend. Let me say it again. He comes with a manifestation. He comes with an invitation. Peter, come and eat. Disciples, come and eat. I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry at you. I love you. I still have purpose for you. I still want to have a relationship with you. And I want to say to you this morning that some of you have got to understand who he is as a faithful friend. He says, let's have fellowship. Let's have friendship. Let's have food. Let's eat. How many know eating together is fun? Some of you are saying, yeah, well, after 24 people at my house on Thursday, at 9 o'clock I was ready to get rid of them all. <laughs> and then Jesus begins this. Now look at this. I want you to follow this. And I'll hurry up and I'll be done in another. Steelers don't play till 4.30, right? And nobody cares when anybody else plays. So, okay. Jesus comes to Peter. Peter has this season where there's this anticipation and this expectation of future. It was a prophesied future for him. And then he has a moment, a moment where he fails, Jesus. And that moment is dealing with the aftermath. And Jesus shows up in the aftermath. And Jesus shows up with a manifestation. And shows up with a revelation. And he shows up with an invitation for Peter to sit and eat. But then, listen to me, this is where many times we as Christians today mess up. Because then Jesus looks at him and says, now, here's the deal. He asks him three questions, three times. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Then he gives him three commands. Tend my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. If you think that your salvation or your restoration with God doesn't come with a mandate, you are sadly mistaken. You have not been called to sit, soak, and sour and hope you get to heaven. You have a mandate on your life as a believer. And the mission and the mandate of your life flows from one place. It flows from, do you love me? Ministry flows from love of Jesus. It does not flow from love of ministry. Ooh. Ministry does not flow from love of ministry. Ministry flows from love of Jesus. You want to teach Sunday school, love Jesus, and you'll love those little brats. I say that affectionately. I know what poor Dion has to put up with on Wednesday nights. We send two of them in there. We send two terrorists to her every, every Wednesday night. Right? Ministry to those kids flows from a heart for Jesus. Ministry on a worship team does not flow from being on a worship team. It flows from worshiping the one whom you love. Preaching the gospel does not, I love it. Do I have fun doing it? Yes, I enjoy it. But it better come from a heart of love for him. Being an elder in a church is not an elected position. It's an appointed position. But you do it in service of the one that you love. How many know it'll change how you drive a van full of 15 screaming kids? 
It'll change how you love your wife, and it'll change how you love your kids. It'll love how, change how you love your husband. You will love your wife better when you love Jesus. Uh-oh. You will love your husband better when you love Jesus. You will love your kids better when you love Jesus. All of ministry flows from a love of Jesus. And he put a mandate on his life. And if you think there's not a mandate on your life, you need to pick up a Bible and you need to begin to read. And you need to begin to read. Because all believers have some mandate upon their life. You see, watch what he says. See, let me say this. This season in Peter's life would be one that was part of the original design for his life. He's coming back to it now. There was a time in his life when Jesus prophesied to Peter that he would deny him. Remember, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. I told you before, I don't like that scripture. I would just assume Jesus prayed that I didn't have to go through this sifting. He said, I prayed for you so you can go through it. How many of you would rather his prayers keep you from it than have to go through it? Okay, just me. I'm the only carnal person in the house this morning. But let this be known. Listen to me for a moment. Just because Jesus prophesied his foreknowledge of Peter's failure did not mean that Jesus foreordained his failure. George and I had this conversation this week. Just because God has all foreknowledge doesn't mean he foreordains everything. Everything that happens in this world is not God. Foreknowledge does not mean preordained. I mean, Peter didn't have to deny him. You see, ministry flows from this love, all right? Now watch this. So now, he looks at Peter. Now get me, get me. So now Peter's getting a glimpse of his future. You mean you're not done with me? You mean you're not going to disown me? I've rejected you. I denied you. I said I didn't know you. I called curses down. Do you mean I can still do what you originally called me to do? The answer is yes. How many know a season of sifting cannot destroy the promise of a lifetime? Now listen. Peter, I made you a promise. I made you a promise. I began a good work in you. Let me tell you why this is. I told you my God is the God of the aftermath. We looked at that definition of the consequences or the effects of an unfortunate event. Let me give you another definition of aftermath. It's a farming term. That means new grass growing after mowing or harvest. A second growth crop. Every summer as we mow the grass, we mow the grass. And of course, because we have 9,000 gallons of rain this year, we've mowed until November. Right? And you mow the grass and you do a mowing and you cut that off. How many know there's a new crop of grass that grows? You mow it and there's a new one that grows. You mow it and there's a new one that goes. And you're like, would you stop growing? I'm tired of mowing. I'm a poet. (laughs) All right? You, you see, here, here, listen to me. This is so cool. 
That new grass growing after mowing a harvest, a second growth crop. Let me tell you something about my God. Let me tell you something about my Jesus. He is the author of a second growth crop. You might have had one harvest go bad. You might have had one cutting. But I'm going to tell you who my God is. He is the God of new grass. He is the God of new growth. He is the God of a second harvest. My God is so stinking cool. Yeah, that's a technical phrase. It's a spiritual phrase. You understand, Jesus told Peter, you have a moment of sifting. Sifting comes after the harvest. He would be found wanting. He would fail. He would fail the moment. He would be sifted after the harvest. But God says, guess what? Just like I caused Samson's hair to grow again, I'm going to cause a harvest to grow again in your life. My God is incredibly cool. I don't know about yours, but I know what mine's like. <laughs> you may be sifted and you may found one thing, but there's another harvest coming. You may have been sifted and you may have experienced the aftermath of consequences, but I want you to hear something this morning. You accept the invitation of the Lord of the harvest because the second harvest is going to be yours. The sifting said it was season, said it was over, but Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, the first and the second. Come on. Hear my God this morning. The sifting season said it was over, but Jesus is the Lord of the new grass. There's a scripture, there's a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament, I won't go into them this morning, that talk about the new grass. You see, I, I, my, my God is so incredibly cool. You might have failed today, you might have fallen today, you might have had that season, you might be dealing with the aftermath. That's good, because he's the God of the aftermath. The second harvest. You see, I'm going to leave you with this. Come on, Troy. And everybody says, praise God, there's those three words. Three best words pastor preaches every Sunday. Come on, Troy. And then I'm going to trick you. And I'm going to say, come on, God. Here's what I want to leave you with today. You might be like Peter. You might have one time in your life lived with the anticipation of a future. You had a vision of what it would look like. You had a vision of what it might be. You anticipated it. You dreamed it. You lived it. You lived for it. And then it happened. Then it happened. I don't know what the it is. You do. This morning, some of you can put a finger on it. It happened, a moment. It might have been, that moment might have been a one-time thing. Or it might have been years. How many of you can have years of a moment? That moment might have been the result of your decisions. It might have been a result of other people's choices. It might have been something out of your control because I mean, you know all of us have things that are out of our control sometimes. It might have been beyond your ability to do anything about it. The moment happened and you've been living in the aftermath ever since. A shadow of what was meant to be. The uncertainty, the confusion, the heartache, the pain, the wound. And you went back to what was comfortable, or what was easy or what was familiar. In your mind, you settled for what would never be. In your heart, you lived with discouragement. God couldn't possibly love you. He couldn't possibly want you. He couldn't possibly use you anymore. But it's in the aftermath 
he will manifest himself to you. It's in the aftermath you'll find a revelation of him that you may not previously had. And God didn't do it for that reason. But how many know there's times you go through your life and you get a revelation of that man that you did not know? I mean, there's times you go through things with your spouse and you go through those moments and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that about them. And I love them even more. <laughs> so I throw that in there. You don't know him as a way maker until he makes a, way, makes a way. They didn't know him as the God who brought down the walls of Jericho until those walls came down. The one who parts the Jordan River until he parted the Jordan River. The one who brings manna out of the sky until he brought manna out of the sky. In, that, in the aftermath, you find the heart of the Father towards you. Come on, Peter, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. But he's not just the God in the aftermath. He's the God of the aftermath, the second harvest, the second crop, the new grass. You thought it was over. You thought you were done. But God's not finished yet. God is going to produce something in you and he's going to produce something through you there were things out of Peter's life that he would do from this moment that would be ever forged by what just happened you ever hear the phrase that'll leave a mark I got marks all over me motorcycle wreck they left a mark There are things that happen in your life that are forever an indelible mark upon you. They can define you or they can define your God. It's interesting. And Jesus looks at himself, by the way, Peter, it's all well and good, but let me tell you how you're going to die. <laughs> Thank you. When you're young, you dress yourself and went where you want it. When you're old, somebody else is going to dress you and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to tell him about the kind of death he would die that would glorify God. My, his death would glorify God. It's not hard to have a death that will glorify God when you have a life that glorifies God. I thought about this the other day. The Bible tells us about a man in chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. Herod. The Bible says that they gave him and called, they said he gave an edict. And the Bible says that the people said, This is the voice of God. And the Bible says he didn't give glory to God, so God killed him. Whew. Isn't it funny? Here's one man whose life ended not giving glory to God, but here's another who's going to end giving glory to God. Here's what I want you to know, and I'm done. God puts this on my heart so much. Some of us in this room today, we've spent a season mourning the lost harvest. And some of it you can't go back and get. And some of it you can't go back and change. And some of it is beyond your control. And you've been dealing with the effects of it. And you've been dealing with the consequences. 
But let me tell you who my God is. He's the God of the aftermath. Who can produce a second harvest. Who can produce a second crop. Who can produce a new grass. And I want to say to you. Stop mourning. Stop mourning. Just what you lost. And embrace what's in the present. Because if you don't, it will shape the rest of your life. I had no intention of sharing much of our story this morning in this message, but I'm going to share one more story. You know it. Many of you know it well. Some of you don't. We buried Nick May 8th, 2013. Took him to that little graveyard. Put him in the grave. Buried him. My hopes, my dreams, my son. My hopes of a future, my hopes of a generation. You think I didn't dream about his future. You think I didn't dream at all, all the anticipation that came with it. We put him in the ground. Peter was there. And about 30 some hours later, that little Carson was born. Same week, Wednesday we bury one. And Friday morning, holding this little bundle of joy, this little balm of Gilead, if you will, this little salve for the wounds. Come on, and listen to me. I said, I know that God has shown me over the years that I I can spend the rest of my life mourning my son, which I miss him every day. And I can just live there the rest of my life. And if I do, I will not be part of raising this second crop. (laughs) The second harvest that's in my hands. Come on, God wants to put a second harvest in your life. God wants to do something new in your life. God is the God of the aftermath. He's the Lord of the harvest. The first and the second. So Father, this day, this day, there are people in this house this morning that they have gone through all of these seasons if you will I don't know what to call them I call them seasons I call them scenes where they had this great moments of anticipation and expectation of a future that was drafted by you or one that they envisioned and then something happened maybe their own choices choices of others death sickness who knows what it might have been And they've been dealing with the after effects ever since. Dealing with the aftermath. And there's been uncertainty. And there's been going back to familiar things. And going back to things they used to be. But you. 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 The faithful friend. The faithful friend says today. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's eat together. Come on. I'm not done with you. I started a good work in you. I'll finish it. I'll perfect it. Don't run away. Don't bail on me. And if you'll trust me, what you think you lost what you think is over, I will bring another version of it. 
another harvest of it. I will do something in your life that maybe you can't even imagine. Let me close with this. This restoration work that Jesus did is the heart of the Father. Make no mistake about it. Many people in their life have lived under critical fathers, judgmental fathers, have experienced rejection of fathers based upon behavior, based upon your behavior, your decisions, and your choices. And that's not to say that God is always pleased with every choice we make. But I'll make you a promise. God is a faithful father who will never break his covenant with you. You may walk away from him, but he will never break his covenant with you. That restoration is the work in the heart of the father. He is a faithful father. He is a faithful friend. And I want you to leave this house today being confident of that one thing, that he who began that good work in you will be the one to perfect it. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. There's another harvest coming. And I speak it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Have a great week.